Hello, everyone. Welcome to C-Suite Talks, a podcast that takes you inside some of the most interesting businesses and industries today. It explores career success and how we can make a difference. We invite you to join us on this journey and welcome to C-Suite Talks. I'm Beth Hilbing, co-CEO of C-Suite. And I'm Diane Gubin, co-CEO with Beth. And this week, we are so happy to speak with Bot Nosh. Bot is the co-founder and CEO of Mia Growth. And what Bot does is she leads Mia Growth, a startup in the finance world, which is focused on women and investments in the markets. Before Nia, Bot served as the Director of Transformation, working with Ernest & Young's CTO, a position which followed years in Israel, where she established and grew the fintech giant Intuit with a local R&D center leading with multiple roles. She was in security, strategy, innovation, a site leader, and head of data science. Before Israel, Bot spent years in Silicon Valley, focused on futuristic products at Intuit's innovation group implementing into its renowned customer-driven innovation practices. Earlier, Bot was busy as the VP of Operations at Founder Labs, an accelerator focused on mobile products, as the COO of Women 2.0, and as the manager of the Entrepreneurial Alliance at NCWIT. These years established Bot as the speaker and a subject management expert on the topics of diversity in tech. Additionally, she learned firsthand lean startup thinking, and she spent her most technical years in enterprise management software. Outside of work, Bot is raising four kids, I believe. Three kids? Four kids. <laughs> Three. Three kids. She enjoys skiing, competitive skydiving, indoor wind tunnels, and yoga. She holds a bachelor's and a master's in computer science from the University of Colorado Boulder. Yay! So happy to have you today. <laughs> That's great. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. But yeah, only three kids. I think it's plenty, plenty. I thought you had said four, so okay. <laughs> Before we get into the questions, I have a question for you. For diversity and tech, what did you do around that subject? Yeah, so I spent um, the first part of my career was in corporate enterprise management. And then I took about six, seven years off to focus on getting more women to start startups to get into tech. So I took two roles, one with Women 2.0, which was focused on getting more women to start startups. And we ran out of that in Accelerator called Founder Labs with uh, Eric Reese and Steve Blank. It was a, you know, a lot of doing in the early stages before uh, the boom of startups were just happening. And in parallel, I was working with NCWIT, which was a national center for women in IT, uh, focused more actually on the research side of things, kind of understanding what kind of research do we have around gender biases and how do we make it accessible for um, the workplace. Okay, great. That was interesting. It sounds like a lot you would have found out. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of activity, I think, going on uh, in those years. And I think we see the fruition now in terms of the conversation and the corporate environment around including diversity and diversity think diverse thinking. Um, throughout the ranks, all the way top to bottom. Yeah, you know, because I am in the tech industry, and I will tell you that there are, it is getting more diverse, but it's still got a lot way to go, long way to go. Yeah. So tell us about Nia Growth. What, what is Nia Growth, and and uh, what made you decide to start it? Yeah, so Nia is a very, very early stage startup focusing on um, investments in women and getting them from zero to one. And the idea of Nia Growth, I think, was brewing in my head through um, three main light bulbs, like light bulbs, I call it, that lit up in my head. 
Um, and I think uh, they kind of get tied together over the years. And the first one had to do with kind of understanding that at the end of the day, real money is made both from hard work, but also through investments. Um, I vividly remember when I was like 23, when I was making about $9 an hour, I was a webmaster, um, and I was putting away, you know, diligently into a 401, a 403B was at that point. And I put, I managed to save about $1,000 uh, total. Yay! <laughs> that's a lot. When you make $9 an hour, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. It was over a, a chunk of years. And because it was 96 to 99, those were the years, those $1,000 became $10,000 really quickly because I decided to put on the high risk. I was 23. I was like, let's dial up the risk dial on this one. And I remember looking at that and kind of looking at my $9 an hour and saying, wow, I mean, the real money is actually made through some of these investments. That being said, timing was crazy then. And Um, A lot of things had to line up, but I remember that being the first kind of light bulb that went in my head around investments. The second one was that I was, you know, investing from around that age. I always had a management, I was always managing a portfolio of investments. It's It's a strong word portfolio, but I was always putting money into the stock market. Let's put it that way. Um, And I remember not ever actually talking about it to any of my friends. So I have very close friends from childhood. We would talk about anything, everything and anything, but not about money. And only later in life, I kind of started asking myself, well, why? And the reason I started asking myself is as I was growing up the ranks of corporate, I started realizing that actually around the meetings, you know, before or after, and it's usually a room full of men, we would always talk about investments, you know, what stock went up, what went down. And I started asking myself, how come these conversations don't happen in my circles? Why are they only happening in these circles? And so that was kind of the second light bulb. And the third one, which is actually the most recent and kind of was the real instigator, was this understanding that a lot of the messages that I grew up with, you know, work hard, save, and eventually you'll retire, are not necessarily true for this new generation. So all of these together um, kind of put... Nia into fruition uh, with a vision of of understanding that everyone should still be able to follow their passion, to follow their dreams, yet still have a future safety net. So that's kind of what how it all came about. That's very good, right? So you you said you're taking women from zero to one. So you're basically saying you haven't even started investing. I this is like the rock bottom platform to start with. Exactly. So. We spoke to a lot of women um, and heard more, you know, we heard many, many reasons of why no one is investing. But at the end of the day, we heard two very clear messages. One is, um, I don't know where to start and the reality is I want to focus on what I love. I want to focus on what my passions are. I don't want to become a financial expert. And the second one was around, um, if I were to invest, I'm really worried about losing money. So those are the two things we're kind of very focused on, figuring out from zero to one to get women to start that first step. Right. And what's the, what's the age range of most of the women that you're targeting? We're looking at the, I would call it mid-20s to mid-30s, uh, mainly because those are the years that a lot of women 
A, start their careers or start deciding what they want to do with their lives. And this generation is, you know, on one hand being very encouraged to follow their passions. On the other, they're starting to understand that the promises of, of the 401ks, the social security, the pension, all those are not necessarily going to be available to them. So they're in that position to make a decision. Do I go work in tech or in Wall Street and focus on my financial future? Or can I follow my passion? Or, I mean, for those who Wall Street and tech is their passion, there's no problem. But if you want to be a yoga teacher, and if you want to be a, um, an artist or an athlete, those are the people we're trying to reach and, and talk to them about the fact that, you know what, if you start at the young age also caring about your future, then yeah, follow your passion as long as you want. So you don't wake up later wondering what happened and how come I'm worried about money right now for my future. So what do you think what do you think's going on in the world of investment today? You know, there's all these different vehicles that are coming out, you know, with crypto and blockchain and all of that, plus, you know, the I think they're NFTs, I don't know. You know, different avenues and things that that we never paid attention to that are work possible for us and how do you navigate through all that if you're young? Yeah, so the good news is, first, like, I'll tell you, I love the, the new generation and, and the messaging that they're taking on and breaking down the biases that I feel like my generation had to not even ask questions about. Um, so information is available everywhere. Um, and it's true that in the financial world, the vehicles are becoming more and more sophisticated. I mean, there's so many cooks in that kitchen, everyone trying to maximize earnings, everyone trying to make it more complicated or find that little niche where they can make an additional uh, earning, let's say. And technology has created an even more complex world. We have, you know, algo trading, we have um, bots (laughs) making decisions for people. And in addition, we're seeing the new economy grow of Web3.0 with, um, you know, with, with infrastructure for a global and decentralized world. And we're seeing all this coming into fruition in a very fast speed and the new generation kind of having to decide, where do I go? What do I listen to? What do I learn? So in a way, there is a lot of complexity, but at the end... Um, What we're trying to focus on is actually the very simple message that I think Warren Buffett coined really well, which is, you know, it's not about um, timing, it's about time in the market. So we're trying to say there are very clear, safe vehicles out there that if you start early and just focus on them and, um, and continue contributing, they will grow because they're actually, you know, they're actually positioned to grow, right? If you look at S&P 500... Just as an example, you look at it and you say, oh, they created a place that always has the top 500 companies. These companies, like if one of them drops and isn't a good company to invest in, then it gets replaced. So as a vehicle, it's kind of like a no-brainer. Someone created this and all the index funds that follow that are a great place to put your money um, in, in, a, in a more monotonous way. So not hoping for these high gains and these crazy lows and, and not the thrill ride, but just the more conservative thinking about your future ride. And these are kind of the vehicles that we're looking at more. Right. So what I'm not clear on, okay, is Nia, first of all, you're an app, so it's only on the mobile phone. Is that right? It's not even there yet. We're still, uh, <laughs> we're, we're still building it. Oh, 
okay. All right, but as as you evolve, so so will you be able to make investments through Nia? Is that the point of it? Yes. So uh, I signed up on the back end just because I wanted to watch what you were doing. Tell us kind of the mechanics or the minutiae around it. Yeah. Yeah. Walk us through it. So right now, um, so our focus is to get you from zero to one. And we're actually still in testing phases. And what we're testing right now are can we offer you very simple to invest packages that doesn't, don't require you to go and study too much because on one hand, there is an abundance, an amazing set of communities out there, especially for women to kind of walk them through the education phase of things and um, teaching and explaining and doing through all these different tools. And I love watching them all evolve and come into play. On the flip side, there is still a population that is kind of saying, you know, I don't want to immerse myself in all of this. I just want to make sure that if I choose today to follow my passion, on the, uh, you know, 20 years from now, I don't regret that. And I have something as some sort of safety net, which isn't offered, by the way, to many people who today don't have, you know, corporate jobs. So the 401ks and all those vehicles are not available to a large, large population of Z's millennials who are choosing to um, to not pursue a corporate pr- career path, and and there's sort of no real vehicle out there that is simple and easy um, to invest towards a safety net for them. Right. So, is this an investment platform? You have five hundred dollars to start with. So, are you saying under Nia here, click a button, and your five hundred dollars will go into whatever? So, we're going to take them through a bit of a, a fun quiz that will ask them about, you know, a little bit about them, a little bit about their risk tolerance. We call it a comfort zone um, because the conversation around risk in itself is sometimes um, convoluted, let's call it. Um, And after that quiz, we offer packages of investing. We're going very simple, safe. Um, You know, it's bonds, simple ETFs. and we're not even starting with stocks at the beginning because the idea is to to really build something for the long term that will allow this population to, you know, to do what they love. So you're making the investments. To, the, I think the part I'm not clear on, you're making the investment decisions. You've already picked out the yes. bond funds or the EFTs or the whatever, right? That somebody's going to, depending upon what their risk profile is. Exactly. Okay, got it, got it. I'm definitely going to refer my niece to this because I... I was speaking with my niece, I think she's 25, and she just now got promoted to a manager position and is making, you know, maybe 45, 50K, you know, and so she's, I said, are you investing in your 401k? And she said, yeah, Beth, I'm hardly making any money. I'm like, you need to at least start something. You don't even notice it. That's the problem is that, you know what, you think it's a lot of money, but you got to just take it off the top. I think that's the key message to anyone um, who's just starting is to just start. And the idea, the idea is that if you, if you go the route of, I don't know enough, and so I need to learn, and where do I learn, and you go into this analysis paralysis forever. Um, and so the just starting, even at small amounts, even if, you know, um, if it's all you have, I think we're shifting from a conversation in the world of investments are just for, the, for those who have a disposable income to everyone should be investing even in small amounts from a young age so that they can uh, secure their future. 
at the end. At the end of the day, it's the biggest economic uh, vehicle there is. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Right. So, so you you take this big, complicated industry and you're just making it really user friendly <laughs> for those who don't want to start, you know, immersing in the complications. Um, there is so much to learn out there. Um, but at the end, you know, we follow some of the basic rules of investing that if you just put money aside, if you invest it for the long term, you leave it in the market, it will work. Right. A- absolutely. Absolutely. So what differences do you see between men and women when it comes to investing? Um, interesting question. <laughs> we could probably talk about this for an entire show. <laughs> and, and not to say that... Um, that, that, you know, what we're building is not going to be for men. I think there's a lot of people who are just um, not relating to the complexity that the current uh, financial markets have to offer. That being said, I think that um, at the end, a lot of the messages that we regurgitate in our head have to do with what we heard at home. And so if we came from a household where money was evil it's going to be very hard for us to switch that mindset. And if we came from a household where only, you know, the men took care of finances um, and we saw every woman around us saying, oh, this is not for me, too complicated, Um, you know, this is something other people do for me, it will be very hard for us to switch that mindset. And so from a general perspective, I think women heard more of those types of messages than men have. And what we're trying to do is switch that mindset. But the biggest differences are not necessarily, I mean, we talk a lot about risk and risk tolerance, and I don't think that necessarily, the, you know, there's, it's a very controversial topic of are women more risk averse, and I actually don't think they are. But I think women do want to feel um, comfortable and um, knowledge, more knowledgeable a little bit in, in areas that they're investing in, and just historically they were exposed less to things. So we're trying to both, I mean, there's, there's the ability now to get exposed to investments from all sorts. It's available everywhere. And what we really need to do is eliminate some of the messaging that we heard at home, heard from our society, because, you know, the women's movement has gone forward and done many, many strides. Um, and sometimes we say, okay, we're almost there, we're free, we're independent, we're confident, but at the end, if we're not financially free, if we're not financially independent, then we're not truly independent. It's it's the financial literacy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's because if, if you have that, then you don't, you can do anything, you don't have to worry about it, right? You're free to move. Right, exactly, exactly. So, 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 Bot, before you got involved in all this, did I mean, did you have a financial literacy class? I never did until I became an investment banker, and then I got so steeped in it, it was like, oh my gosh. So, I did have a class, but I did have messaging at home. I remember my grandparents were, um, you know, my, my grandmother, who was not even educated, I remember she couldn't even, uh, she didn't have a driver's license, even a homemaker. Um, but they they owned uh, this small electrical store of small you know electrical gadget not even gadgets like the flips and the switches <laughs> um, and my grandpa worked really really hard there and my grandma would go there as well in the morning but then at lunchtime when I would visit she would take me around to her tours of banks because back then you'd buy stocks through coming to the bank right it wasn't available um, online there was no online. Um, 
And I remember the messaging at home of like, grandpa works really hard at the store, but the one who really makes the money is grandma. So I didn't have a financial literacy class per se, but I got that message. And I remember that's why, combined with the previous story, I started investing at a young age because I kind of understood that, you know, if you really want to grow your money, um, you just have to do it. And I was very conservative at the beginning, and today I'm a lot more aggressive, I would call it. And the biggest change, I think, that I see now with how I treat my daughter, she's 12, and she said the other day, um, not the other day, she keeps saying it every day, like that she wants to be a capoeira teacher. So she loves capoeira. It's kind of like this martial arts dance. Oh, okay. And a couple years ago, like I would say, no, you're not, because there's like no money in there. There's no future in, in that. And today, after doing all my research and kind of understanding where the world is going, I tell her, you know what, you want to be a capoeira teacher? Yeah, go for it. But let's go hand in hand and learn how to invest. And always make sure that you create some passive income from a young age, because you're going to have to have a lot of passive income later in life. That's great. Beth, did you have financial literacy training as you were growing up? No, no. My mother was horrible. No, my mother was horrible. She always worked hard, but she spent everything she had. You know, she had five daughters. We go shopping all the time, you know, all this stuff. They were always like, you know, just paying their bills, paper thin. Now, she was lucky my father passed first, so he had a pension and all that stuff, right? So that all transferred to her. She didn't have anything on her own. But anyway, so it's interesting. I think what worries younger people, too, is the cost of health care and the cost of nursing homes and all of that. And they see the transition. They see the transition of wealth going to elderly care and so forth. And they're like, well, how am I supposed to deal with that, right? So I don't know. There's a lot for a lot. I don't know. I think that's I think that's on our radar. I don't even think that's on our kids' radar. No, I hear it all the time. Do you? Okay. Okay. I think the first thing, the first, I agree with you that the older generations are seeing the healthcare situation, how, you know, I'm, I moved from Israel, so it was a big move. And it's my, I have to admit, it's my biggest fear living in the U.S., is um, the system, the healthcare yeah. system, just being in a right. healthcare system where you can all of a sudden just go, you know, down and you never know where it can come from and go bankrupt and the stories are horrible, um, regardless of your financial status. Right. So right. I think that I agree that it's maybe more for the older generation. For the younger generation, I think they're starting very quickly to understand that, you know, that message that we got, like, work hard save, you know, 65, retire, this RV is going to be in your backyard and you're going to start driving it. <laughs> it's not waiting for them. And you see these movements of you see the fire movement. So it's FIRE, which is financial independent, retire early. And you see these people are saying, well, if 65 is not really an important number, then who says 65? Why not 45? Why not 55? Why not save hard and invest hard when I'm young so that I can I, I, I was about to say retire, but I don't think they look at it as retirement. I, I become financially free in my 40s and my 50s earlier. Um, and financially free doesn't mean you're sitting on a beach having a margarita. It just means you have passive income coming in that can offset your need to sell your time for money for work. Or if you could decide you want to go learn and get a 
learn how to be a master pizza maker in Italy for a month, you can go do that. Where we never would do that. It's freedom. Freedom and choices. We Freedom of choices. Yeah, we would never do that. Hey, so I want to kind of switch gear because, you know, we're coming kind of to the end of this. But I want to know, what do you do in an indoor wind tunnel? <laughs> That's a good question. So, favorite topic ever. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. So... So in 98, so I've been skydiving since I was 21. Um, it's how I met my husband. It was a big part of my life when I was younger. I competed, um, did amazing things. Uh, it was a huge contributor to my life. And in 98, they actually started with the first wind tunnel. It's basically a room. Back then it was 12 feet. Today, I think I, the, the average are probably 14 to 16 feet in diameter, but there's also... Now I'm uh, blanking. There's one in Dubai, which is like 60 feet or something crazy, ginormous. Um, don't quote me on the number. Um, and you, basic, you, you can either um, practice what you would do in the air. So it's a simulator for what you would do in the air when you compete in skydiving. But it, it actually has become its own sport. So you see people now that um, participate in the wing tunnel and have nothing to do with skydiving so you can there's many disciplines head down on your belly uh, fl- basically fly oh okay all right oh that's cool do, do you land on a mattress i hope on a wind tunnel so the air is your cushion <laughs> is, is it padded there's no mattresses no it's a it's imagine a room the bottom is a net and you just when you jump into it you're just floating on the air oh okay that's cool highly recommend it yeah 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 yeah. we should definitely do that Ah, risk taker high risk taker (laughs) well we want to thank you so much for joining us today and we truly appreciate that yes thank you thank you guys for having me we want to thank bot enosh co-founder and ceo of nia growth let's thank you and so for the listeners go out and check out nia growth and then um, we want to thank our sponsors google um RSM, a lead accounting firm, Manette, a large law firm, nationwide, global, Woodward Sawyer, employee benefits, and Amplify Professional Services, executive search and IT consulting. So thank you for listening today. And um, hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, everywhere you find your podcast. Leave us a review, all five stars, of course. And then follow us up on social media. Tell your friends about us. You tell your friends about us. LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. We love hearing from you. Check out our website, www.cswet.org. Come get active, come to the events and meet these amazing women. And Baya, thank you so much again. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Bot. Thank you, listeners.